It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, the Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. Yep, there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 168th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined par usual by my co-host and partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate you tuning in to the last two episodes on Eric Clapton. 166 was with his longtime guitar tech, Lee Dixon, who was full of stories from touring with Eric and all the many legends, told a great George Harrison story on the show. It's a lot of fun. And then 167 was on Eric's 461 Ocean Boulevard, which is turning 50 this year. So all you big Clapton fans, if you haven't already, check those out. And we do a lot of classic album reviews here on the show, some concert reviews. And the big reason that a lot of people love these classic albums is not only because of the great musicianship and songs on the album, but because it takes you back to a certain place and time. And that's where the personal tie to music comes from. And we have people tell us all the time, we review an album. It's a guy I haven't heard that in 25 years, and it's still great today. It's like, oh, it took me right back to the summer of 84. Man, I remember, you know. And it's a way we can all relate to the same kinds of music. And so this week, Jackson and I, we're going to review an album from our time together in college. That at the time was a little bit of a disappointment. However, 30 years later, we have a greater appreciation of it and think it's better than we remember and that's pink floyd's the division bell released in spring of 1994 it was huge news that pink floyd were back and not only had a new album but they were going to do a huge tour now i was fortunate enough to see them on that tour at the big sombrero in tampa in may of 1994 and it was mind-blowing life-affirming fan double-tastic it was a major experience for me And so having the benefit of 30 years on to kind of look at this album as a critic, as someone who's familiar with the entire Pink Floyd catalog, as someone who's interviewed folks who've played in Pink Floyd, kind of come back with this with a different perspective and give it a fair shake. And I think mixed with that and the fact that I have these great memories of being able to see Pink Floyd live on what was their last tour, well, maybe that all helps me hold the album in greater favor than I might have if we hadn't done this review. And maybe it'll do it for you too. Before we get into the show, we got a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to mention we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a family of about 100 different shows. There really is something in there for everyone. Check it out at PantheonPodcast.com or you can follow at Pantheon Pods. And you have to go check out our sponsor, RareVinyl.com, because they're based in the UK, guys. They also have a site, EIL.com, with over... 250,000 items in stock from all around the world, and they ship all around the world. And believe you me, they have a lot of cool Pink Floyd stuff from all around the world. So if you're in the UK looking for something from Japan, or you're in the US looking for something from the UK, or you're in Japan looking for something from US, go to Rare Vinyl. Use the code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, and you can save 10% off your entire order. Now, they've got box sets. They've got rare singles. 
you can spend thousands of pounds in there if you really want to. But if you're going to do that, make sure you use the one-time code UGLY and save yourself a huge 10% instead of a tiny little 10%. Great folks at rarevinyl.com. They've been sponsoring us for a couple of years now, and we really appreciate it. Their stock is unbelievable. Their folks are unbelievable. So go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, save yourself 10%. They've got a lot of Pink Floyd stuff. Now back to the division bell. I just remember there's a huge anticipation like, ah, I'm finally old enough to understand that Pink Floyd's coming out with a new album. And when it's coming out, I've heard the lead single. And they had a lot of great songs on here like Poles Apart, like High Hopes, like What Do You Want From Me? Keep Talking With Stephen Hawking was a pretty big hit in the U.S. So I couldn't wait to get it. And then when I got it, I'm like, eh, is this as good as the last one? Because I was a pretty big fan of Momentary Lapse of Reason at that point. I did like it, but I didn't love it. And now with the benefit of a little time and a little revisit here with Jackson, well, we're really glad we did it because I have a greater appreciation for it now. And I hope after you hear our show, you will too. So let's get to it. We're doing Pink Floyd's The Division Bell as it turns 30 here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's focus on the Division Bell. Right. Because... When I saw the anniversary of Division Bell was coming up, I'm like, okay, well, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. 
A, it's Pink Floyd's last real album. B, it came out while we were in college. I actually got to see Pink Floyd on that tour in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I bought a Pink Floyd album, you know, like the day it came out. You know, like Momentary Lapse, like it came out and then I saw Learning to Fly on MTV and I heard it on the radio. And then eventually I got Delicate Sound of Thunder first because it was part, you know, live, part kind of greatest hits and, you know, part the Momentary Lapse. And then eventually I'm like, you know what, I should just get that Momentary Lapse album. And then that became a go-to for me. I'm like, oh man, I like putting this on. All right, I can't wait. I hope they really make another album. And then my memory of The Division Bell was that compared to Momentary Lapse, to me, it was a disappointment. Correct. And, and I, go, I would echo that statement. Yeah, because when you, you said this, yeah, you were like, oh, let's do The Division Bell. I'm like, I don't even really think I like that record, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, because it it was not the same thing. And to me, it, it at the time in, what was it, 1994, mm-hmm. it kind of fell flat to me. Right. Yeah, I I agree. And the thing is, they kind of tried to run it back, you know, as far as like using most of the same people, not exactly. And then even the way the kind of the tracks fall as far as the instrumentals and stuff like that. But it was seven years later. Like Mm -hmm. you can run it back a year or maybe two years (laughs) later, but seven (laughs) years later, it was kind of like, and that was disappointing to me. I'm like, they've had seven years to make this record. I bet it's really, really good. And they experimented with a lot of toys, but I was like, you know, eh. It's not that good. Now, in getting ready for this show, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be cynical. I'm going to have to, you know, rip this thing apart or whatever. It's better than I remember, but I don't know for sure as a critic if it's that it's that good or if it's because I have fond memories from that time with it. Mm. Okay. Because I do remember having good memories of just like, oh, hey, there's a new Pink Floyd and we're going to go see them. And some of the songs are good, but like the whole thing I remember... I listened to some of it and like, you know what would be better is if we put on Momentary Lapse of Reason. That's never a good, it's never a ringing endorsement. You know what would be better? A different record than this. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I was really trying to remember that when you brought this up. I'm like, I don't even, re- I mean, I couldn't even tell you more than one track on this deal. But in going back and listening to it, you're right. It's better than I gave it credit for. And it's interesting because this was, this was they were trying to make more of a Pink Floyd record. Mm-hmm. in quotes then momentary lapse was more of just like a david gilmore solo record with singles on it this was more like they were trying to tell you a story and so it was like, like what are you trying to re- are you trying to make a wall again or mm-hmm. something like that without uh roger waters i think waters didn't he say something like it was total rubbish at the time maybe momentary lapse he said was a clever forgery but this one i don't <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he had good and the thing is you know when you look at the lyrics on a lot of these songs you're like well that sounds like it could be about roger and then at the time david would be like oh no you know we don't need to be conjuring up roger anymore and mm-hmm. then years later polly samson who wrote all the lyrics with david <laughs> was like oh yeah that's about roger yeah <laughs> Yeah. But, you, oh, you yeah. That's about that. Roger. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe that was the thing, too, at the time. Like, you listen to it and you're like, come on, this is exactly what this is about. Mm-hmm. And then you have water saying it wasn't any good. Okay. Everybody's having sour grapes now because they're, they're just bent out of shape. That's about right. the entire situation. Yeah. And, and on the last song, we kind of, it's pretty explicit about their relationship, I would say. Yeah. But th- this that's thing, what, that's what get, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. But this thing did get a lot of airplay. I mean, I got mm-hmm. four songs that I heard on the radio from this thing back when they used to play, you know, new music by rock bands on the radio. And yes, it was maybe the classic rock station, 
But still, I mean, what do you want from me? Take it back. Keep talking. High hopes. These were all, I don't know, some of them were released. Some of them kind of weren't. Some of them were kind of radio releases. Even mm-hmm. Lost for Words got some radio play, you know? So people were still like, hey, it's Pink Floyd and they're back and let's enjoy right. this. Because, you know, I mean, here's the thing. They had the biggest tour ever in like the 87, 88 kind of corridor mm-hmm. there that became Delicate Sound of Thunder. And then the Stones did their big tour and the Who did a big tour. And my cynical, but, you know, still you know, smart father was like, all these bands that are doing these big things, they'll do it again in three years because they've made so much money this time. Mm-hmm. They kind of build it like, this could be it. And then they're like, whoa, we made how much? Okay, we can do this again. <laughs> and so once again, this, but this time the Stones and Pink Floyd were kind of out there at around the same time. I mean... Mm-hmm. Pink Floyd was kind of spring and summer, I feel like, in America. And the Stones were like fall in America, 1994. And I saw them both in the same place, the Big Sombrero in Tampa. Of course, the Stones I saw with you. Yeah. I mean, look, we've done enough shows that, of course, where we came in on Pink Floyd and where they were at the time. Mm -hmm. They broke up. Roger's like, I'm leaving Pink Floyd. So Pink Floyd's over. And then David and Nick are like, well... We're going to keep going with Pink Floyd. And he sued him. He's like, A, you can't continue on. B, you can't play any of my songs live. Like, yeah, anybody can play anybody's songs live, <laughs> dude. You, you you can't stop us. And then there was the thing how Rick Wright wanted to come back in the band, but because of all the legal stuff, technically on Momentary Lapse, he wasn't a member of Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, and they had the picture of just Nick and David in the sleeve. And then Rick's name was under theirs, just a little smaller but then just a little bigger than like, say, Tony Levin or anybody, you know, who played on the record underneath. Right. right? So this album, Rick is back to being a full member of the band. And he and David wrote songs together for the first time since Mud Men off Obscured by Clouds. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a while since those two sat down because the feeling is that Roger kind of nudged Rick out, like didn't give him anything to do. Roger would say he wasn't coming up with anything. Right. At least this is a song I wrote. But his textures are still all over those songs on which you were here and animals and the wall, you know. So it was like, I love Rick Wright. So I'm like, I'm glad he's back doing things with the band again. But yeah, it was like. You said they were trying to make a Pink Floyd album instead of trying to make a really good, I don't know. Yeah, or, or yeah, that's the feeling I get. To me, it's almost like it's two things put together. It's a little bit Pink Floydy. It's a little bit Gilmore solo stuff. But it, like I said, it's better than I remember. But can we, uh, can we start from the beginning here? Yeah, we can start because from the beginning. What I didn't realize was that, and we're going to do this as soon as the big checks start rolling in, which uh, I can imagine is any day now. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to know a little bit about the uh, Astoria. The houseboat. Uh, recording studio. Mm-hmm. It's good to be the king. It <laughs> is good to be the king. This thing looks amazing. And it's, I guess the, his whole deal was he spent so much time in windowless studios. He wanted this thing to be over the top and it's just magnificent to look at yes david gilmore's boat which i don't know was it on the thames or it was on one of the tributaries anyway yeah it, they recorded a lot of stuff on there no mm-hmm. doubt about it and they did yes. the same for momentary laughs moored on the river thames uh mm-hmm. let's see it was grand houseboat built in 1911 for empresario red carno so i don't even know what that is an empresario but it sounds pretty cool and the thing is over the top and it's yeah it's moored on the thames and it just looks 
awesome on the inside. Living space, recording space, over the top. To me, Michael DeBar would be an impresario. Somebody who, when he walks in the room, he changes it and can do many things. It also, there was a conductor, I believe, who lived right around the corner from Abbey Road Studios that mm. had one of those blue plaques in London that said, oh, like, okay composer impresario and i'm like ah impresario that's a cool title <laughs> not everyone could be an impresario you know so that's uh that's that's pretty neat so yeah i mean no look david gilmore all the members of pink floyd are pretty wealthy you know and, and the fact that matters besides having that enormous tour that made a bunch of money uh momentary lapse i think sold eight figures worth of albums around the mm. world and this one sold at least seven million which is not i mean it may not be dark side of the moon but still that's a lot that's a lot of records you know and it went to number one i mean like almost everywhere i mean i'm not going to name them all certainly u.s and uk but i mean all around the world all over europe and australia and all that stuff it went to number one so there was still appetite for pink floyd Oh, absolutely. And, and I think we were in the, same, in the same boat. It had been, what, seven years? We were chomping at the bit to get this record. So I'm sure they did a ton of pre-sale or pre-release sales. People just wanted to listen to it, no matter what was going to be on it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, like, it quickly hit platinum and double platinum in the U.S., and it ended up triple platinum in the U.S. and the U.K., and then it quadruple platinum in Canada, you know, but, but platinum all around the world. So, yeah, I mean, people wanted to, to hear some new Pink Floyd, and they did apparently have a blimp that they rode around America. Well, they didn't ride in it, but that they, they you know, took with them around America to kind of help promote the tour. Mm -hmm. And as I've said before, I kind of wish I had, because they played Orlando, which I didn't realize. I, I They may have, like, put those tickets on later because I went ahead and got tickets for Tampa. I should have gotten to Orlando. I should have taken a couple weeks off school and just toured around and, and, and watched them a bunch of times. I didn't think that way back then. I was like, Oh, yeah, no, I have to get back to school now. Well, you say that. And I think financially that might've been a little bit of a strain also. Probably so. Yeah. But I was just like, I have to see Pink Floyd live. That's just like a must. Pink Floyd's coming to America. They're coming somewhere near me. I'm going to figure out how to go. And then, yeah, I mean, it's some of the same characters come back. Now, Tony Levin did the bass on the last album. Now they've got Guy Pratt, who was in their band during the tour. Mm -hmm. He was kind of a mop top kid running in place <laughs> during Run Like Hell. Now he's a little older, maybe not quite as much hair. John Karen, who was kind of Rick Wright's backup, uh, was back uh, doing some stuff with them. We saw Durga McBroom come back mm. from the uh from the tour and i mean tim renwick was around and we saw the return of dick perry on the sax yeah what it had been 20 years or whatever it had close to it since he contributed to a pink floyd record so you know it, like okay yeah we're, we're putting this all back together bob ezrin is at the controls again so people figure hey this is gonna this is gonna work you know so what happened i don't know <laughs> Well, I mean, the easiest thing to say is there was no Roger Waters. And so, you know, he was the architect of the classic Pink Floyd conceptual stuff. So, I mean, I think that's the first thing that he, and I'm sure he would point to the same thing too. You can't make a record. You can't make a real record without me. But you did bring up the fact that uh, Wright and Gilmore were writing stuff on their own since 1972. So mm -hmm. in a way, is it almost, is it kind of nice that he wasn't there? Because then it wasn't, it's my way or the highway. Right. 
actually do some stuff without him over controlling everything, which was, I believe, how the wall turned out. Oh, yeah. So he's gone. Maybe it's not exactly what you want, but it's just a different direction. And honestly, like the stuff that he that that Waters put out solo wise, was it all that great? Yeah, not to me. I'm sure there's fans <laughs> out there who would disagree. But I remember like in 1988, he was out there touring on his solo stuff and pros mm-hmm. and cons of hitchhiking, stuff like that. And he's playing the theater in the same town that Pink Floyd is playing the football stadium or the baseball stadium, you know, and, and I saw him in Tampa stadium, you know, so right. they could still draw those kinds of crowds. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the lyrics are, they seem to be more about relationships and it's about communication, how problems can be solved. And we just kind of keep talking as was one of the big songs on the album. Right. Rogers are always more about how politicians are fucking you and corporations are killing you and <laughs> you know, war is destructive. You know, it is, it's not Which nice is, stuff and it's just, right. it's a little extra heavy. It, I know it gives it some weight, but mm. not everything in life is like that, you know? And the thing is, I find that this album has some hope to it. Whereas That's Roger's stuff doesn't have any hope. It, it, you know, it's like, okay, Roger, this is horrible. How do we fix it? You can't fix it. This is the way it is. Might as well just lay down and take, take it. it. Yeah, exactly. You know? So then that begs the question the other way. Can he, can Waters really do it without the rest of these guys to kind of, you know, lighten him up a little bit? Right. But you if know, left to his own devices, it's all just doom and gloom. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And and he's missing out on some musicianship. I know he says, I can get keyboard players and guitar players everywhere, but I'm sorry. David Gilmore is special. And to right. me, Rick Wright is special. I, I think I think so. And I think that it, it, the other problem, too, is if you're a solo act, everybody works for you. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter what you you have no thought, you have no opinion. You do what I tell you to do. You need that person to say, and now I want to do it this way. I've got an idea and I can flex out and get it done because I'm part of the band. Yeah. No, no one tells Roger. No, that was the correct. Problem, you know, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Except for, you know, these guys who weren't with him anymore. And and you're right, even though like Wright doesn't have writing credits on a lot of the stuff, his influence you can definitely feel. And you can you can feel it back again on this record. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And he did some good stuff on Momentary Labs. He just didn't get like proper credit for it or whatever. Right. But this one it's like, okay, now they're collaborating again. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff, I mean, they actually, I guess, wrote a ton of stuff because some of it, or a good chunk of it, ended up to be the um, Endless River. Okay, which, yeah. Which is technically the last Pink Floyd record. It's kind of just a bunch of leftovers from these sessions that they wanted to do it justice because it is, you know, uh, Rick Wright's last recordings, basically. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was there's quite a bit of it left. I think they tried to do something with it and stuff. Not all of it, but some of it ended up as as something. And then they're like, they kind of reworked it and said, okay, let's just uh, let's just bring it back together. And Nick and David and probably Guy and a couple other people kind of came in and and put some stuff together to make it sound like more of an album. Mm-hmm. But you know, the other thing is because Roger's not there, the lyrics aren't really going to be there. And right, David needs help with that. That's not how he expresses himself generally speaking. And so he needed Polly Sampson, his girlfriend at the time, or was she already his wife? I don't know in 1993, 94, to be honest with you. But I do know that a lot of Pink Floyd fans are like, huh, 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 is a girl yeah, writing Pink Floyd lyrics. It's not Roger. Uh, uh, I don't like this, you know, and 
it's like, well, look, uh, she's actually doing some pretty good work here, you know, and mm-hmm. she's helping David out. She's not playing the guitar. She's not singing it. She's just helping with the lyrics. Get over yourselves. She is a good writer. It's what she does. So, but I mean, I get it. Some people like no Roger, not Pink Floyd. Now it's like, uh, uh, someone else is writing. Uh, I don't like it. But overall, I think it's it is good. It is better than I remember. Yeah, I was I was going through doing some research for this, and there were reviews, and and somebody called this you know the dark horse of the catalog, mm-hmm. and I said eh, you might be right on this. It, it's you might this is better than I think it got credit for. This is better than people remember it i think that a lot of people especially our age were in your boat where it was like i don't care i've got to i've got to buy this i've got to see this because we mm-hmm. were a little bit too early uh, too late too early i don't know for momentary labs like we didn't get mm-hmm. to see him in concert that was kind of our first toe into the pool here so yeah. this was the first record that we got to listen to all the way through new and then go and see them. And I think the other problem too was at the time the music business, had, the music scene had changed a lot. So you oh, know, yeah. we were fully into grunge and everything else. And it was like, oh, here comes Pink Floyd back. Mm-hmm. Mm. The, the dinosaurs, you know, yeah, correct. Yeah. Ambient music, you know. And... <laughs> no, yeah. So yeah, the, the leftover stuff was like an hour long thing called the Big Spliff. They decided not to release it, but they took a lot of stuff from the Big Spliff to use on. The Endless River. And they did experiment with some things. They got some toys, and David uses the Evo uh, mm-hmm. a little bit on here, which is, I think what was Gary Kemp was using. I, I think that's what it was. Yeah, when we saw him. Where, yeah, where you, I think you so. You just kind of hold it. You don't really mm-hmm. pluck it. You kind of just hold it over the string, and that kind of keeps a consistent yeah. like, pressure on it. And then you, can, then you can use the fingerboard, but you don't actually have to strum it. So, yeah, I think that's, that's what it sounds like. That's what he's using here. Sounds like it. Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Podcast. <laughs> but we better jump in. I'm telling you, there's a All lot right. more to get to All right. than I recall. But, you know, and it is long. I mean, like, Momentary Lapse was just over 50 minutes, I feel like. Because they're still kind of adhering to, we put this on cassettes and LPs. And yes, yeah, CDs are great, but LPs and cassettes are kind of still our main bread and butter. By the time this comes out, CDs are the thing. LPs are basically dead. And yeah. it's like 66, 67 minutes. So some of this does feel like it's stretched out a bit, even though nothing's like 10 minutes long. But there's, right. you know, there's one over eight. There's one over seven. Most of them seem to be six or over or about that. So some of these feel like maybe they could have been trimmed down. Of course, the singles are always trimmed down a bit. But we can get into all these it starts off with Cluster One, mm-hmm. an instrumental, an instrumental, not unlike starting off with Signs of Life right. on Momentary Lapse of Reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've you've heard this this style before, this system before of, yeah, starting with their with the instrumental. You don't really know what's going on here. I guess the deal was that everybody thought it was broken because they're, it's at the beginning. It's hard to hear. And so you're like, you crank it way up and you, oh, okay, there's something there. Mm-hmm. No, they're using their Pink Floyd tricks and mm-hmm. pieces of audio things, stuff they've done for years. Also, there's very few like hard stops between songs. They kind of just meld into each other, you know, yeah. transition from one to the others. There's no like, fade out and then something new comes up like you do on a rock album this first one it's light 
with a bluesy Gilmore guitar. But, you know, yeah, it's it's like six minutes long, whereas Signs of Life was like four and a half minutes long. So it's they're stretching out a little bit here. They're already, they're already doing this to you? I mean, a little bit. I mean, you know, and <laughs> and this is something they didn't play live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 I guess that sound was like, it's electromagnetic noise from the solar re- wind, you know, mm-hmm. which is a very low frequency re- record of dawn chorus and whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay, you guys are so smart, you Cambridge guys. <laughs> You're all so intelligent. Sounds like it's broken to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> damn, damn thing's broke. It's not bad, but... Did this even come out on an LP in 1994? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I was trying to think of like... Yeah, I mean, you're right. At that point in time, buying a record that wasn't even... I didn't even have a record player or anything to... I know. I didn't have the big hi-fi or anything like that. It was CD or... I I didn't think we were buying tapes then either because they were pretty much passed by. Right. I I remember in the late 80s, I would still buy tapes just Mm -hmm. because if... Because they weren't were CD expensive. worthy. Yeah. If, if an album, yeah. if I didn't deem an album CD worthy, I would just get the tape. I remember being in the bookstore at college and sometimes they'd have tapes, but they'd be cheap. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could pick up something rare or, you know, whatever. But anyway, no, it, it was CD. I was so glad to hear Steve Hackett say, I like CDs. You can't beat the sound quality. Right. You know? Yeah, it's Carl Palmer's the same way. He's like, I don't get the whole record thing, dude. I, I was glad when they abandoned LPs. Now all of a sudden they're back and they're four times as expensive as a CD. Like, I don't, I don't get that, you know. Yeah. So, but anyway, all right, let's get past Cluster One because then we get to What Do You Want from Me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a it's a more aggressive song. It's right. a single ish. It's certainly a promo track kind of thing. And of course, the second song on Momentary Lapse was Learning to Fly. Mm-hmm. It's more aggressive than learning to fly. And it's kind of a, it seems like a conversation between people in a relationship. What do you want from me? I remember it being on the radio. I remember liking this one back in the day. Yeah, this one, uh, this one, they kind of, they kind of trick you a little bit at the beginning. They give you a little bit of, is this have a cigar? What are we doing here? It's, it's just a little bit. It reminds you of somebody you used to know a million years ago. I like this song. It's greasy. It's dirty. Guys on the bass here. I, it, you know, you were talking about Durga McBroom. At this mm-hmm. point in time, to me, she's a huge part of this sound uh, for this record. The, her backing vocals. I agree with you. And she's certainly the one who was on tour, both those tours. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is they use a lot of people for these. I mean, it wasn't just Durga. It's also Sam Brown and Carol mm-hmm. Kenyon and Jackie Sheridan and Rebecca Lee Wright. Like they're all kind of having this wall of, you know, like yeah. female sound and it sounds great, but I, I, yeah, I'm with you in that Durga seems to be the one. Of course she and her sister, Lorelai are still going. They tours the McBroom sisters, but they, toured the uh they did the tour with the boys on this one i saw them Mm -hmm. looking foxy up there on stage (laughs) i thought they were so hot so awesome and i was right (laughs) 
but this, you know, it, they kind of they released it as a single, but I think it was like a it was more like a promo single versus like something you could buy. It was, you know, to get people to, to, to play it, to get disc jockeys to play it. And then I think they did release a live version from Pulse, which was the live album. Okay. Because um, it hit 28 in Canada. But it looks like the only two official singles were Take It Back and High Hopes Keep Talking. Well, no, maybe there were three. High Hopes, Keep Talking, and Take It Back. Yeah, this doesn't look like it was an official released single, but I do yeah. remember hearing it. O- on the radio, yeah, because yeah. classic rock would play it, you know, and, and it, a lot of people could relate to, what do you want from me? You know? Right, but it, yeah, but it goes it goes back to that. I mean, the, the whole thing you were talking about before, it's communication, and that seems so dumb. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, that's such a base thing, but the more that you think about it, you're like, yeah, we could probably solve a lot of problems. You would if just, just talk. <laughs> and then on the other side, just listen to somebody. Like, exactly. Like, I mean, I think about this in, in the relationships that I have. But yeah, like, what do you want from me? Like, what, what is going on? Like, you're you're upset, but you're not telling me what's what's happening. It seems like it's my fault, but then everything seems like it's my fault. So. Right. <laughs> well, it's mostly a proggy blues song, you mm-hmm. know, but there's that trippy psychedelic bridge in the middle of it that is very pink floyd Mm. and it kind of is between the the more aggressive you know bluesy pieces But yeah, I mean, even the cover by Storm Thorgerson, of course, who's a mm. longtime Pink Floyd collaborator from the hypnosis days. He's the one coming up with all this, these visuals and the cover, which are these two big metal faces. Or is it two sides of one face? Uh, oh, who knows? Oh boy. But I think overall, it's really two people with the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the words going between them, the little lights in their mouths mm-hmm. kind of going between them. Those things were huge, by the way. They're like the size of double-decker buses. Mm. And I think that they were on display somewhere in America, and then they went back to the UK to be part of like a museum piece. Uh, That'd be cool to see it for life. I know. I want to see those, man. I I, I think that they were gone by the time I got to Europe, or by the time I got to London, and then it was COVID, and then it's like, well, who cares? But okay, so this is a little tepid. It's not, we're not huge into it yet, but right. we're, we're moving forward. Now, the third song pulls apart. Mm-hmm. Is this a happy Pink Floyd song? I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I do like the fretless bass that Gilmore's mm. playing. I thought that was Guy, but apparently it's, it's David playing that. It's happy, but is it also kind of sad at the same time? Because it kind of sounds like he's talking about both maybe Sid and Roger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of like, Hey, it, I'm sorry. It didn't work out, especially on the Roger part, but you know, I'm out here doing my thing now. Another on the second verse, here's another callback when he says, Hey, you and, straight and, to Roger. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Did you realize what you'd become? And like, yeah. That's Roger. And David <laughs> said, no, come on. That's crazy. Polly's like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah uh you know but like the acoustic stuff at the beginning there 
because it's acoustic, you can't hear how kind of like sinister it is. It sounds like some older, harsher Pink Floyd. If it had been electric, it would have been more, I don't know, animalsy or okay. even the wall kind of stuff. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of callbacks in this thing. Yeah, because it's acoustic, it's more reworked to be more of a chill song. But obviously, yeah. pulls apart. It's like okay, we're we're doing different things. And yeah, you're, I think the first one's kind of about Sid, the the uh, the verse. The second one's clearly about Roger. <laughs> but I think overall, it is a good song for this era. Mm-hmm. Hey you, did you ever realize what you? Did you see that it wasn't only me you were running from? And while I'm sure Rick Wright or maybe David or even John Karen used, you know, some kind of piece of incredible technology, the bridge sounds like carnival music a little bit, like maybe a calliope or whatever those things were called, you know? And then there's almost a reprise when it comes back out of that, back to like the normal song again. And I think we talked about um, when we did Momentary Laps, the fact that Gilmore, he doesn't play fast. He's right. not going to shred it. But man, I can listen to him play all day long. Just the tone that he's got and the the yeah. way that he, the way the, the sounds that he can get out of that guitar are just phenomenal. Absolutely true. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I remember I enjoyed listening to this. Yeah. It says John Karen keyboards and FX. So I'm sure he had something to do with that, but then David did some programming. He also did keyboards. Rick's on the Hammond. Yeah, David did a lot on this one. By the way, we should mention that all of these songs, for the most part, the lyrics are co-written by David and Polly. Mm-hmm. But then there's a couple that include this guy, Nick Laird Close. And I guess he was in the Dream Academy for a bit there. But this is a this is one that they, the three of them wrote the lyrics together. Gilmore did the music. First song was Gilmore, Richard Wright. Second song, music was Gilmore and Wright with Polly and David doing the lyrics. That's kind of how it divides all songs for the most part. Lyrics written by Samson and Gilmore. And then the music, Gilmore is in all of them in some way, except for one. And we'll get to that. So I'll try mm. to remember to point those out as we go along. Along the way. Yeah. But I overall, I think for this era of Pink Floyd, I think it's a good one. I love Gilmore on his pedal steel. He's mm-hmm. so good at it. It's very Pink Floyd. So let's move forward with the second instrumental on the song, on the album, Marooned. Mm-hmm. Another Wright Gilmore composition so so far i mean three of the four songs are rick and david which we hadn't seen in more than 20 years mm. and and it's it's um you, you were talking about before they have uh transitions like these mm-hmm. aren't they, these kind of one song goes into another like if you're not really paying attention you this thing it, it comes in right after pulls apart Right. And, you know, it sounds like, what is there, seagulls? It sounds like you're on an island. It's it's more like, is this part of the same song or is this something different? So they definitely made this to be listened to, I believe, in one chunk.
Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Overall, yeah, that's kind of what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, but it does transition into the next song pretty well. And I think this was kind of a jam that they kind of just put together and, you know, mm-hmm. we're playing with some stuff on the Astoria. The beginning is very Blade Runner-esque to me as far as the the, the chug to it or whatever. Okay. Um, it is more pedal steel. But here's the thing. I think it's cool as it is, but it's either great background music that you kind of have on while you're doing something else, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a little too long for what it is. Well, and then and it, I was also looking at the at the track listing too. So we've got one, two, three. So this is technically the fourth track, but it's yep. the second instrumental, and it's five and a half minutes long. After the yeah. first instrumental was six. Yeah. So maybe maybe take that down a little bit, or maybe move that further down on the track listing. I mean, why are we doing the second? Because that's it for instrumentals, right? Well, that's mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. yeah. if it's part of telling a story, then I, you know, you put it wherever it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's connecting poles apart to a great day for freedom, then that's fine. But yeah, I mean, they threw it on the echoes best of Pink Floyd, but it was two minutes instead of five and a half. Minutes. Ah, okay. So maybe that might have worked a little better in this scenario. Yeah, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, look, I, I love we It's our job to be critical of this stuff. So we have to call out stuff we think could be done better or that we don't <laughs> like or, you know, think missed the boat on something like that. Maybe it serves the album better as a five and a half minute song in putting these two together. But it seems like if if it's good enough for two minutes of the greatest hits album, <laughs> maybe you're on to something there. Right. All right. A Great Day for Freedom is next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is them getting more political because this is kind of about, you know, when the wall came down mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and, and freeing up Eastern Europe, which they're huge Pink Floyds, huge Pink Floyd fans in Eastern Europe. And you can see it because David went and played Poland. His Live and Good Dance video is, is a big and album is a big deal. Nick Mason, Saucer Full of Secrets are out touring a lot of the former Soviet bloc countries when they go mm. tour. So it's a it's kind of a big deal, but it still kind of turns me off a little bit, given the mood of the music. Okay. As far as what they're talking about here. I don't know. What are they talking about here? Well, it's a great day for freedom. It's when the wall came down. Okay. But wait a sure. minute. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. There's, a, there's an album <laughs> called The Wall, <laughs> and it was all Roger Waters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except for so, comfortably numb, of course, which right. which we love. But yeah, so so is it freedom from your tyrannical ravings? Right, Roger. Just curious. some people speculate on that. Yeah, and I like I like the uh, I like the fact too, or the idea that when when the Berlin Wall came down. You thought that the next day they were going to have McDonald's and right. rock and roll, but everyone's it, free and wearing right. colorful clothes. And... But I think part of it is people don't know what to do. Like, well, what do you mean I can do whatever I want now? I don't like this. I don't get this. Oh. So the idea that perhaps history changes a lot slower than you'd like and or maybe doesn't change the way that you thought it would. Well, exactly. It, it, it does. You know, you think and some people were like, thank God. Yes. And I'm leaving, you know, or I'm taking my skills to go get paid for them. So I'm like, right. 
uh, I don't know what the world is now. I yeah. don't even understand what to do. And like when they put Germany back together, they said it was tough to get like the communist bloc Eastern Germany up to like Western like work standards and yeah. things like that, you know? <laughs> because like if you kick ass, you get paid the same thing as if you screw around you know basically in communism right there's yeah. no incentive suddenly in the west everyone's kicking ass because they want to get promoted or they want to make more money or whatever wait what do you mean uh, i gotta come to work every day huh no come on so but it's like despite gilmore's statements to the contrary the lyrics have often been read as a reflection <laughs> on the bitter and estranged partnership that he had with roger waters <laughs> And the wall, of course, Roger did that huge thing at the Berlin Wall. And was that come out in 1990? The yeah. wall at the wall, basically, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah, it's time to, to pull this stuff down. Anyway, you can, uh, he, I mean, David continued to do this. It's on Pulse, the live album from the tour. It's also from David Gilmore in concert from 2002. You can, which was kind of semi-acoustic. And then the one I mentioned, uh, Live in Gdansk, it was on that as well. Uh, and Michael Kamen came in and helped the great Michael Kamen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, came in and helped the orchestral arrangement on this one. So, you know, again, you can take with it what you want. Here's what's kind of interesting. It was kind of left over from the momentary lapse sessions. Okay. And then when they got together to do the song for Ukraine, that was David, Nick, Guy, and then I can't remember who the guys, who was on the keyboards, some guy who I didn't know very well. But when they came together to do that song and release that as a single, Hey, Hey, Rise Up was the song they did for Ukrainian Relief. This song was the B-side to that. Okay. Well, I mean, makes sense. I guess so. Yeah. Great Day for Freedom. It's Mm -hmm. a great title to put on there. Plus, it is about communism falling down. And now it looks like the old Cold War Russia is trying to claw back some uh, some of its old territory there. So the more things change... The more they stay the same. Unfortunately. Hi, this is Steve Hackett. You're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Now, of course, we only ever had this on CD. The music was all Gilmore there. But the next one, Wearing the Inside Out, Mm -hmm. this is a Rick Wright pen tune. And the lyrics were done by Anthony Moore, who was, I don't know him really well. Apparently, (laughs) he was a founding band member of uh, Slap Happy. All right which I don't, I don't know anything about, yeah, no. but Hey, if he's there to help, great. He's worked with Trevor Rabin. He worked with Julian Lennon. So if you need some lyrics, they'll come in and help. This is the only song on the record that Gilmore didn't write at all. No lyrics, mm-hmm. no music. Rick just brings it in. So I'm happy about that. Well, yeah. Well, we, we're always happy when it's something that's out of the norm. And especially when you get somebody else singing. Yes. Yeah. And look, Rick's not really a huge singer so much. You know, he sang on time. Right. He's kind of talk singing on this, Mm -hmm. but I still like it. I mean, I like his voice. I always have. And that's Dick Perry back on the sax there, you know? So yes, lots of blues guitar from David on this and lots of strong unison uh, from the lady singing back up on this one, Jackson. This is yeah. the sound. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Th- this is a really good, you're right. Wright's voice is not, is not fantastic, but for what he does, it works really well. And the, the, the background thing is awesome. The sax is again, here, we've got another friend coming to see you mm-hmm. from us and them. It's, it's very reminiscent of that same sound. So I, I love this track. Hey. 
You do. You, this is yeah. one of your favorites on here. I, I do. I do because it, it, I'm always going to gravitate toward the, the album cut. It's not written by the same people. It's not sung by the lead singer. You've also got, I think Guy Pratt was saying something about how the idea came from doing harmonics on the bass. So it's just a whole different way of writing a tune. Right. So that's kind of interesting that Guy's like, oh, yeah, that, that was my idea that was my thing right well i mean you know it's it's nice to be i mean i i don't you know know about uh how the royalties were given out but i mean you know i mean guy made out all right with the whole right family so yeah yeah i was just and, looking at that i mean did, he he married gaia right in 1996 Okay, so did he even did he even know her at this point in time, or was this kind of the first? I'm guessing that he did. I'm guessing okay. in '93, '94, he knew Gaia, but I, you know, I, I don't know how old she was. I, you know, at the time, Guy was just into his 30s. Mm-hmm. So, and he'd already been around, right? He he played with so many people already. You know, I mean played with the Smiths and he came to prominence when he played on the momentary lapse of reason tour and all that kind of stuff. But he played with Gary Moore. He, he played with a lot of people. He's very much in demand. He's a composer. He can write his own songs. He was always with David on all his solo tours. And obviously he's with Nick here now. So he, he's very, and he's, you know, we know we love guy, but on something like this, even though he's a great guy, oh God, no pun no intended. Even. Yes, but, it is. You okay. intended that pun. Pun intended. You're not getting this gig if you're not a fantastic player. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how much everybody loves you. If you can't play over the top, then you're not, you're just not going to get the gig. And it's, I thought I read something that Roger Waters, he always got top-notch guys, top-notch people, but he could never really put it together like this for whatever reason. These guys just, they just had a better groove. Absolutely. I mean, compared to Roger's solo stuff, there's no doubt about that. And it was, yeah. it's probably because it, this was more of a band and that was more, if you did it wrong, he was going to scream at you. I know. He, he <laughs> turned into like Bob Geldof at the end of the wall. Like, you know, <laughs> like he would like to be a dictator. I'm pretty sure Roger <laughs> that, kind that of kinda comes through loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. I'm glad that Rick got his, Yeah. I mean, Hadn't heard him sing in 20 years on a Pink Floyd album, so we're glad that that all came together. And now, look, it, it kind of continues on here as far as I'm concerned, because we had the CD. But when you flip it on the LP, or maybe the cassette if you had it, then I find that these last five songs actually have a lot more radio-friendliness, single potential, better uh, at communicating to the masses than... Yeah. It's, Most of the rest of the other stuff. It feels like we're kind of uh, switching gears here because the, the especially uh, these next two, to me, sound a lot more like Gilmore solo tracks, like you would have heard on on something he would put out by himself. Well, maybe. And it's look, you can't underestimate the influence that Polly had on him. Mm-hmm. Because she's writing, I mean, they're writing them together, but Polly's really kind of cleaning them up and and having them make more sense and that kind of stuff. David has a hard time expressing himself in words, not with that guitar. (laughs) He's awesome at that. And like the blues that he was playing on that Rick Wright track, Wearing the Inside Out, that solo from him was great, you know. But this is kind of a classic Pink Floyd runner. It's just mellow and upbeat versus say brick in the wall, which yeah. has that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, ominous tone to it. Yes. But, but, but I like it, you know, and 
it did well. Mainstream rock, it hit number four in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Maybe only 73 on the Billboard chart, but 23 in the U.K. is not bad for them. And it was backed with Astronomy Domine Live, which is kind of cool. And I have fond memories of listening to it. Again, I'm not sure if I love it or if it's just like it took me back to a time. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely more momentary lapse sounding. So yeah, maybe that's like, okay, this is what I'm more familiar with. Was he having a hard time, Gilmore, in between like when he got divorced and when he met her? I mean generally speaking that's the way it works yeah i would i would think because i mean that it kind of sounds like you know especially like this one and then the next one it's like he's now he's we're kind of back on the on the right track again in his personal life yeah no i mean there's no doubt that polly yeah came in and made a huge difference yeah. there. again these are lyrics that david and polly did with uh, nick laird close and as far as the music goes this is gilmore and Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin gets a write on this. Of course, he got a co-write on Learning to Fly on the last album. And mm-hmm. his legendary that, you know, he he did The Wall. And, of course, the, the legendary Kiss album, Music from the Elder. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. The classic. He was doing a lot of cocaine then. You got to give him a pass <laughs> on that. Seriously. But listen, Pratt sounds really good on this one. Mm -hmm. He stands out on this one to me. I don't know. I just, I mean, obviously we didn't flip it. The CD just plays. Right. But this second side is what Take It Back's the first part of. I don't know. It does feel like a change. And they're experimenting with all stuff. The Ebo is back here. They're playing with all sorts of little Pink Floyd toys on this thing. Yeah. But I I do like it, I think. I I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. And it's it's a nice, let's see, what did we have before that? So, yeah, it's... It's kind of a, it's more upbeat. It's kind it of is. moving. It's moving the. It's moving it along a little more. The the lyrics are a little kind of a bummer. You know, it's something about you know I spy on her. I lied to her. I made promises I cannot keep. It's like right. You know, that's that's kind of harsh. But uh, but the music is ominous. Or anything, no, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's very upbeat for the for what he's trying to say. And it does kind of instead of getting bogged down here on the second side, we're moving along nicely. I, I agree. You know, it it it's like okay upbeat light you know mm-hmm. major chords not necessarily minor chords like oh this is gonna be so horrible <laughs> which is all you really got out of roger i mean honest to god yeah it was the only thing he ever wanted to talk about and i get it there's stuff on here in the world that's terrible and we but need you, to you know you need to mix it up a little bit it can't all be bad because if that's exactly. the point, then you're just like why why even go on here That's right. So, and do you know what a Farfisa organ is? Uh, it sounds filthy. What is it? I don't know. Uh, I, I have no, it's something from Italy and I guess it's, you know, part of an electronic organ, but they, you know, Rick kind of plays that on this one or it, it, I guess Karen, John found some located in Pink Floyd's storage area. Like, <laughs> like how, how fun would it be to go through like Pink Floyd storage or Kiss's storage? Think of all the knickknacks and fun stuff you might find yeah. in there, you know, like, and that's what some people don't realize is like, oh, you can just take a year off. I'm like, well, fine. You can take a year off if you want, but you still have expenses. You know, you may have offices, 
you have business people to pay. You do have storage facilities for all the KISS stuff that you don't want, you know, to go to waste. You Most people you pay, when you're at that level, you pay certain crew members year round, like they get a salary. So it's like, if we tour, they get a salary. If we don't, they get a salary. So we might as well tour so we can pay them, you know? There was a great picture of Paul Stanley sitting at the KISS whatever it was headquarters or, and mm-hmm. he was, he was sitting on the thing from the unplugged, the, the floor with the, it was the rock and roll over. Oh, really? Like, yeah. They were going to throw it out at the end of the, at the end of the show. And he's like, no, roll that up. I'm taking it with me because don't throw any of this stuff out. Yeah. Good for you, Paul. Yeah. But could All you right. imagine going through the Pink Floyd something? What the heck is this oh, thing? I don't even, I don't You're even amazing. know what this instrument is. I don't know. Break it out. We'll use it. Yeah. I mean, it could be all sorts of stuff <laughs> in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, the next song coming back to life is, I think, what you were saying. Like, this is Gilmore coming out of the fog of unhappiness and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And he wrote this all himself. The music, the lyrics. This is a pure Gilmore song, and it's obviously about Polly. Yeah. And I think this is another upbeat song. Uh, I've got a note here that Guy is laying down a fat groove on the bass. Yeah. It sound it sounds good. Now here's what I didn't here's a note I didn't know. It says the best man at his wedding was his teenage friend and Pink Floyd album cover artwork designer Storm Thurgoodson. So he knew him way longer than just the Pink Floyd days. Yeah, they were pretty tight. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this was one that meant a lot to David. I mean, he it, it rotated a little bit on the Division Bell tour, but on the rest of his like solo tours throughout like the 2000s, he played this basically every night. Okay. He was yeah, he was he was proud of this one, I think, and it just kind of showed a time where you thought that not that you necessarily your life was over, but you know, you had kids with this woman, you have a family and now it's over. You've grown apart, whatever. It's like, uh, and maybe she wasn't right for me anyway. So will I ever find the right person at this age? You know? Mm -hmm. And Polly, look, I mean, at this point they've been together more than 30 years. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can imagine that it's, you know, maybe he was thinking the same thing about the music. You know, like everybody at this point in time, delicate, I mean, um, momentary last was what, 87. So it had been a long time since he's released a record. You know, what are these Mm -hmm. guys doing? Is that over? Is he done? And then you kind of get this whole restart with her and, you know, getting back together with Rick. So I think, um, yeah, I think he was in a really good place when he was doing this. Yeah, definitely. When I was burned and broken While the days slipped by From my window watching And where were you? Uh, my only thing is like, again, because the CD is longer than the LP, I feel like they kind of take advantage of a little bit. And so some of these songs are stretched out. Maybe this is one that's a little bit longer. Okay. That, you know, it's again, it's over six minutes, like everything mm-hmm. basically on the second side. It's not bad, but it's, yeah, it, it, maybe is it too long? Yeah, maybe it's the smidge. <laughs> maybe just, maybe just a little bit. Just trim that down a little bit for me. Just a little bit. Now, the ninth song or the third song on the second side, Keep Talking. This mm-hmm. is the one I remember as the big single yeah. off of this record. And um, David wrote the music with Richard, lyrics with Polly, but it famously 
has Stephen Hawking's electronic voice piped in here. Yes. And that was something that that was something that they took from something else, right? Like a speech or something. Like he didn't record this for this no, record. It, yeah, but it was a BT ad, man. It was a British telecommunications ad. And like and it's oh. like as, as much as it like pains him as distasteful as it is to take something from a commercial, like Hawking's voice, what he was saying, what he meant in this commercial actually brought David to tears. Mm. It was like, we need to keep talking or whatever it was. It was like, he, they went out and got permission to use that. And they piped it in during the uh, live performance and all that kind of stuff. And it was a big single. It was backed with Take It Back. Mm-hmm. It came out in October of 94, but it went to number one on U.S. album Rock Tracks. Now that is radio play, not sales. But still, for six weeks, it was at the top of that chart, which means it's just getting airplay on the classic rock stations that we listen to. Mm-hmm. Number eight in Canada, number 26 in the UK. So that's pretty good for them. And there's lots of David Gilmore on here using his little toys and <laughs> tricks and pedals and things like that. I think I should speak now. I was going to say, I like the, I like the call and response, you know, you've got hit him saying the line and then the, the background singers, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's a response to what he's saying. That's kind of cool. I remember when that single was out that, that hit me, you know, that was what you were waiting for the Stephen Hawking thing. It's a little disconcerting to hear the robotic voice. I mean, if it <laughs> were me, I would, you know, can't we get Barry White or something to do this? Right. Instead of the computer. Well, you know, that's because we didn't know who he was. except i learned later that summer so in 1994 i went to cambridge to study for summer mr hoity-toity over here well it's because pink floyd went there right you know so (laughs) and i you had to take a couple classes a day and i took a couple economics classes so i could get my major done with Mm -hmm. but first thing in the morning they would just have these seminars on general things for like everybody, no matter what you were taking, could come in in the morning and learn about whatever. And maybe one day it was about economics, finance, and one day it would be about art. One day it would be about chemistry or whatever it was. One day Stephen Hawking came and spoke. Really? Wow. And I, I skipped most of those things because mm-hmm. they were early and I was basically drinking the whole right. time I was yeah. there. Yeah. But when I heard Stephen Hawking was going like, okay, I got to conjure myself up and get there. Yeah. And it was like standing room only. And they don't want you standing. They want you sitting down. But I think I weaseled into a seat a little hungover. But I'm like, it was cool that I got to see him speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, he's the guy on the Pink Floyd. <laughs> you know, not that he's written all these great books. Hey, he's a remarkable it's physicist. The Pink Floyd guy. I know him. <laughs> it's Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they, they perform this every single night of the Division Bell Tour. And I love the talk box he uses on it. We were just talking about talk box on the Eric Clapton album the other day. Mm-hmm. David uses it pretty well. And like you said, there's call and response from the backup singers in him throughout the song. But then at the end... They're doing the, you never talk to me. He goes, wah, 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 yeah. wah, wah, yeah. wah. And, you know, uh, at the end, he does a big, <laughs> at the end. <laughs> you 
very Gilmore. It's it's kind of cool. I, I, I like it, but it kind of also has that latter day generic Pink Floyd runner thing. Ding ding ding. Yeah, you know you can. Yeah, it's like they haven't done anything new. Is is the way it's like they're, they're kind of relying on the same stuff they've done. You could see it in a few different ways. As far as are you talk? Is this about a relationship with a lover? Mm-hmm. Or is this, are we back to the damn Roger thing again? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it falls in very well with the whole theme of communication. Right. And we need to do more to stay in touch kind of thing. As does mm-hmm. Lost for Words. Yes. Very in your face about communication. David did the music on here by himself. Of course, Polly helped it with the lyrics. Mm-hmm was kind of technically a single. You can get the promotional single, Lost for Words. You could buy it at Discogs. You can find it. And the A side, I think, is the clean bit without the F word in it. And the second one, or the B side, is got the F word right in it. (laughs) So, but I feel like it's got to be. It's got to be about Roger, doesn't it? Yeah, I I think so. Because I even wrote a note on that when I was listening to it. I'm like, is this about Waters again? You know, two, <laughs> you know, three question marks. And then there's a note here. The lyrics, mostly penned by Samson, are a bitterly sarcastic reflection on Gilmore's then strained relationship with former bandmate Roger Waters. So, you know, here we go back again. And maybe that was the thing, too. You know, we were talking about him, Gilmore, finding new love and everything else. Maybe this was very cathartic for him to express how he'd been upset with this dude for how many years now? Yeah, for, I mean, since, well, probably since 1979 or 80, but certainly since like 82, 83. Yeah. But, you know, it has that acoustic guitar to start, which kind of gives it a wish you were here kind of vibe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think once you really dig into the lyrics, I think it's obviously about Roger, to be right. honest with you. But yeah, it kind of starts off a little dark, and then you're right. When the acoustic comes in, it, it lifts it up a little bit. So, you know, it, I think this is one where it's it's sad, and it's he's mad he's he's mad about the, the relationship, but then just the title itself, Lost for Words, it's like you talk about communication, but sometimes it's like you, you reach an impasse. Like there is nothing else to say. And I exactly. think that was probably the way it was at this point in time. Like, I can't talk to this dude. Well, exactly. And, and you know, it's like, wh- why am I trying to reconcile when you tell me please to go <laughs> myself? Right. Because, <laughs> right, well, right, well, what's the point? Yeah. Everything you know, I do that's... is trash. Yeah. I can't do anything without you. So, you know what? Maybe I am done talking with you for a while. Yeah, maybe, maybe I am lost for words, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, Roger, I think, eventually got over it more than David has, to be honest with you. Hmm. Because okay. like eventually I saw some footage like they were and it may have been in 94 where they were kind of in the same place, maybe in the same studio complex. And they kind of bump into each other serendipitously. Mm-hmm. And Roger's kind of like, oh, hey, David, how you doing? And David doesn't have much to say to Roger. And I think eventually Roger puts his arm around him. David kind of looks at him like, what are you doing? You <laughs> son of a bitch. I have nothing to say. I really am uncomfortable and I wish you would go away. And- <laughs> off back to wherever you came from kind of thing it's just the look on his face said it all and then when they did the g8 thing 
mm-hmm. you know, Roger's like, come on, come on, just come put your arm around me. Come on. Cause David had plenty of space between him and Roger on the stage. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, look, come on, this is it. Let's all, let's all just take a bow together. And David's like, all right, fine. Which of course would be the last time the four of them would ever play together. Mm. But at the end, you get into the ringing tolling of the bells, right? Yeah. Which leads right into High Hopes, the last song on the album, and the division bell. The, tr- the, the even say the toning of the division bell, mm-hmm. which I guess is what they do in Parliament when it's time to call a vote. Okay. Wasn't 100% aware of that because I'm not into politics, period, let alone somebody else's politics. Not currently in Parliament, but that's fine. Yeah. And the, it, in the book, you know, the book, the CD booklet... They've got, you know, like Lost for Words had a couple of old boxing gloves in it. Yeah, there you go. So now you know, you know, that's (laughs) that's Roger Waters, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, Storm does his best to conjure up these interesting images. Like coming back to life has someone who's like passed out on the beach with maybe someone trying to give him mouth to mouth, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. And the last one just has this big, I don't know what you would call this thing. It's like a, it's almost like an enormous scarf with high hopes, but is it high hopes that will work it out? I don't know. Was this the, I think, I don't know if this was the A side of keep talking or if they were kind of released the same exact time. Cause it was also back with marooned in one of these days live. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little confused on how they released quote unquote, this stuff, but this was apparently David's like reliving growing up in Cambridge because his father was a professor there. So he grew up in Cambridge and then of course attended the university, but it was, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a song of hope and, and remembering fond memories. Not like now it's all screwed up and we hate yeah. each other. It was like everything was possible and everything you did was, was cool. And, and, and back then, which is kind of like me now feeling about this record, like listening to it in college and seeing the band play live, these fond memories. So it's mm-hmm. to me, it's like that dichotomy between him remembering the fond days and me remembering the fond days all comes together here on High Hopes. The grass was green and the light was bright. What a way to end the record then. All right. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, it kind of starts off a little sad with the piano, but then it picks up with the acoustic and he's back playing the lap steel again, which sounds awesome. Um, right. And then the, the church bells on the way out. I'm like, is that like, are we done with the whole thing? Are you done with life? What, what's, what's going on there? I, I don't know what he was trying to do with that. But you know, the grass was greener back mm-hmm. then. Like the sounds, the music that you listened to had a bigger effect on you. You know, it, it was more prominent it was a more important part of your life, more than just something you need to do to make money anymore. You know, mm-hmm. your friends back then were your friends forever. And you're right. The pedal steel on this is fantastic. But the last lyrics include the, the phrase, the endless river, mm-hmm. which would of course morph into their, their last album, which is, you know, I kind of bought it out of obligation more than, <laughs> Oh boy. You know, I get to, there's a new Pink Floyd album. Like the, the kind of is, you know, yeah. Uh, but Storm did the video for it. And you're right. You had the bell on the way out. Well, maybe not all the way on the way out, but close uh, on the way out. Yeah. Because he 
if you listen all the way to the end, there's a there's a little hidden track there at the end. Right. Is someone talking to their son there? Somebody is talking to to um to Gilmore's son Charlie. Okay. I think I think it was like that he must have called and the, and he answered the phone. And so he says, you know, is this Charlie? And, mm, and right. he just hangs up and you hear him go, oh, great. But to <laughs> me, that's that's the end of Young Lust. You're giving me a little like, you know, oh, right. black call from Mr. Floyd. So it keeps hanging up. It keeps hanging up. I don't yeah. know why. I said, On the way out, I said like, who you were. <laughs> that's exactly the same thing. That's just a little carrot at the end. See ya. Fair enough. But, you yeah. know, this did chart too you know i mean and lost for words i think got to 21 in america on like rock tracks number seven this one in the u.s album rock tracks 26 in the uk and even charted in canada and france you know so this got heard a lot a lot Mm -hmm. of the tracks were pulled out even though it sounds like it's all supposed to be listened to as one big album a lot of the tracks were pulled out and played on the radio or released as singles. So, and that's what you do with Pink Floyd albums, right? You, you play the hell out of them. You play them all over the world. And this one did that, you know, sold at least 7 million copies, went number one everywhere and led to a tour that grossed a hundred million dollars, which I kind of want to touch on here at the end. So you went and saw them in Tampa. I did. And, and I mean, we had watched, Together, we had watched Delicate Sound of Thunder 97,000 times. Yes, so we like that very much. What What was that like going to see this thing? I mean, there had to be a lot of hype in your mind. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and absolutely. Now, here's the thing. The live album that came out of this was Pulse. Yeah. And on Pulse, they kind of famously do Dark Side of the Moon in its entirety, and then they go and play other songs, you know. Mm. I feel like that they did that on the European tour. I'm like they played most of Dark Side on the tour that I saw, but they they didn't do it in its entirety. I think they picked that up for Europe and other parts of the world. Okay, now maybe they did a couple of U.S. tours that I'm not you know 100 percent aware of, but yeah, it was amazing. And I went with uh, my buddy Darren, who we call Doogie, because he came to Rollins when he was like 15, <laughs> um, and when he graduated, he was like 19, and then he went to medical school because that's what Doogie do, and he had to come back to see us. Because he went to medical school in Tampa. He came back, I remember, to Rollins because he's like, he wanted to party when he was finally 21 with his boys, with his fraternity <laughs> brothers, not with all these medical wonks that he was now associated with. But he lived in Tampa. So we went down there together to see the show in Tampa Stadium. And we're pretty far away. I mean, you know, it's in one of the end zones. We're probably 80 yards away from them, you know. Okay. But it's incredible. It has the big round, you know, canvas with the lights all mm-hmm. the way around it in the back. And then they have something in the middle that's like a mini like hanger kind of thing. Okay. Like on the 50 yard line or like between the 35s or may have been between the 30s. It was pretty big. So this the same kind of similar stage that we saw on the Momentary Lapse tour. The three backup singers, you got John Karen, you got the saxophonist, you got Guy on the other side of Nick from David, you know, no Rachel Fury this time, Boo. which I... I didn't know it was going to be the case. And I got to say, I was a little disappointed. Had you known that you would just turn the car around? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but no, you know, and they, they broke it up into a couple of sets. And the first set was bookended by a couple of classics. But then in the middle, they pretty much played stuff from the, the recent two albums. Like, so they start off with Astronomy Domine, which I didn't know. And then they ended it with One of These Days, which I did know and I loved. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, they did Learning to Fly, On the Turning You Way, and Sorrow from Momentary Lapse. They did 
what do you want from me? Take it back. Great day from freedom and keep talking from Division Bell. Then they took a little bit of a break, but then they come back and the only thing new they did in the second set was High Hopes. And most of the rest of the stuff was from Dark Side of the Moon. Because I guess, you know, yeah, it's the 20, it was 21, but it's the 20th anniversary of it, Mm -hmm. right? They do Shine On Crazy Diamond, one through five, then they breathe in the air time and then the breathe reprise. They do Great Gig in the Sky. They do Money. They also do Us and Them. They squeeze in Wish You Were Here, which I remember was amazing. And of course, they do Another Brick in the Wall, part two. Mm -hmm. And I remember Mm -hmm. everyone kind of marching along to that. (laughs) When they get to Comfortably Numb, which of course is what I'm waiting for. Yeah. Then this hanger in the silver hanger in the middle, I think it was silver, in the middle of the field, all of a sudden it opens up like in the middle and Mm -hmm. the sides come down like there was going to be a huge telescope coming out of there or whatever. Okay. And what comes up is basically this enormous ball, like a disco ball. Okay. I'm pretty sure this was for comfortably numb. I could be wrong. That <laughs> it happened at some point in the show. Yeah. And, and maybe it was, maybe it was, I, I feel like it was comfortably numb. The thing goes up. And so there's this ball and then they flash the lights off and it spins. So you've got okay. this, I don't know how big it is. Is it 25 feet? I don't know how huge this thing is, but it spins. And then you could see the lights bouncing off everyone in the entire football stadium, oh, cool. like going around like, whoa, man, this is super cool. And then not to be outdone, the disco ball opens up like, like from the top and the bottom like the things curl apart and then lights come out of that oh, and beam all over everybody. Goodness. I'm like, whoa, this is so <laughs> cool. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is so amazing. Just losing my mind. I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing comfortably and I'm live. I was so psyched. And then they, they came back to end with uh, Hey You and of course Run Like Hell, mm-hmm. which is a great. And, and that's why I said maybe it was on Run Like Hell, but I feel like it was from, see, now I have to go back. But the thing is the Pulse doesn't exactly give it to you because I also think Pulse was done indoors, like in an arena. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to record it live, probably because you wouldn't want to mess with the outside you know, noises that you could pick up on an outside stadium. Yeah, my question is, I, I I haven't watched Pulse in so long. I can't remember if the thing came out of the middle in the arena or not. Mm-hmm. But then the Pulse, the Pulse video went eight times platinum in the U.S. and the uh, you know the the album went double platinum in the U.S. I mean, people just love Pink Floyd in this country, and I'm one of them certainly. But then that's kind of it. And I, at the time, I never really thought that that would be it. Yeah, you know, I didn't I'm either. I'm just like, they'll yeah. take another break and maybe right. it'll take five years off and they'll they'll just do something again. Because that was so huge. There's no way that that was going to be it. They were on a roll. I mean, if it fell flat, maybe, but this was huge. It was huge. You know, yeah, the, those two tours were enormous, grossing mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars and back then that money went a long a long long way you know so i just figure okay well they'll they'll take another break and they'll deal with their taxes and then they'll do it again mm-hmm. but they never did and even though i, I mean i see I mean, a lot of people again say pink floyd was nothing without roger waters those last two albums don't count to me they do count and i don't know i mean why not try to do something else it seemed like you had it worked out rick was being creative again you got polly to help you with the lyrics mm-hmm. Why not? 
And you kind of had a, not? you kind of had a band together too, even though it was just the three of them. Technically, you had the same people coming back over and over again, so you had a nice groove with everybody in the studio and exactly. on tour. Yeah, but hey, maybe at that point they're like, now we have enough money that we can all just go do what we want. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not beholden to each other anymore. We don't have to be there. So all in all, I'm glad we did this one because it's it's a lot better than I remember it, and it's a lot. I remember a lot more than I thought, and it's a lot. The, the songs on it are better than I remember. Yeah, yeah. Look, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, it won't be. It maybe it doesn't take you back to those classic '70s albums or the experimental '60s albums. Maybe it's trying too hard to be some of those things in some instances. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it's a good listen. It's not my favorite. If I'm going to latter day stuff, I'm going to go to Momentary Lapse of Reason or I'm going to go to Delicate Sound of Thunder. Mm-hmm. I hadn't listened to this in a long time, but I came in with the attitude like this isn't that good or I don't really want to listen to it. <laughs> and, and after I listened to it a few times, yeah. I'm like, there is some good stuff on here. It's still not my favorite. It never will be. But there's enough good memories and good moments on here to make it a viable Pink Floyd album. Yeah, it's definitely worth a listen. It's definitely worth revisiting. So I'm glad we did it. So it was fun for me and Jackson to go back through the division bell after 30 years. Yes, it's one of those that maybe at the time it wasn't your favorite in the world, but it grows on you. And I hope you guys don't mind me sharing my memories from seeing Pink Floyd live the only time I ever saw them live in Tampa in May of 1994. Great memories, great time in my life. And that's kind of what music ties you to, right? It's what brings back those emotions or those special moments in your life that are tied to some of your favorite songs of all time. And that's a big reason why we do this show. It's because we love music. And we know if you're listening, you guys do too. So we thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. It means the world to us. And I know we've got a lot of super knowledgeable Pink Floyd fans out there. So you got to let us know. Did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Let us know. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the albums, the tours, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties you want to hear us talk about here on the show. And we're hoping that you're subscribing and downloading wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're thinking about it, guys, hey, give us a five-star review wherever you get them. It just helps us find more rock fans like you. And if you send it to us, we might just read it here on the show. So thanks, as always, to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. Thanks to our sponsors, RareVinyl.com, who have a mess of Pink Floyd items in stock. Go to RareVinyl.com. Use the code UGLY, save yourself 10% on anything Pink Floyd they might have. And the Prague anniversaries continue here in The Wolf. We may just have to do something again from the Pink Floyd tree before too long. Hint, hint. So stay tuned for that. And to all of you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.